Welcome to the Old Cow Podcast, where two women over 50 living in different countries and their weekly guests from around the world dig deep into life after 40 and ask themselves, how can we stop others from thinking of us as old if that's how we see ourselves? From real talk about everything from what is annoying about aging, the weird things that begin happening to our bodies as we age, what healthy aging is, how dating and sex is different in the second half of life, the latest fashion trends for any age, beginning a new career, what love looks like as we age, starting over, and real talk about politics and current events through an older and more experienced lens. Nothing is off the table in this refreshingly honest, fun podcast. Here are your hosts, real-life friends, Jill and Ava. I'm so happy to be back after a couple of weeks traveling, which was amazing. I highly recommend it to everyone. I'm so happy to say that Sarah Dunn is back with us. Sarah, the model, stand-up comedian, and former cult member, if you recall, So she has been very busy in her life, and we had to put off uh, recording the second part of our podcast until today, but I'm very, very happy to have her back with us, and she has so much to talk about. She's going to answer questions that we received since her last visit um, about being in a cult and life in a cult and leaving a cult and where she is now, and she's also going to talk about her life now, which I think you'll find really interesting. She's very honest and very open, and I look forward to everything she's going to tell us and teach us. So welcome back, Sarah. How are Thank you? you? Thank you so much. I'm well. It's nice to be back. We've received some feedback after we aired the first podcast, which is now a few weeks ago. And if you don't mind, before we continue, do you mind if I ask you some questions? Oh, I'm so curious to hear what these questions are. Yes. Okay. So um, again, I think I wasn't the only one watching cult documentaries on Netflix because a lot of people referenced that and they said, was it like this? Was it like that? So not surprisingly, people wanted to understand if there were issues with the people that ran and started the cult that you were part of. Was it really a way to, to exploit women sexually or for pedophiles, which seem to be prevalent in other cults. You didn't mention that when we talked, but I'd never really asked you that directly. And if you're comfortable, if you're not, that's fine. You don't have to answer it. But they were curious, was there any component of it that do you think that was part of what motivated this inappropriate contact, let's say, with women or yeah. girls? Yeah, unfortunately, I there there was an element of that. Um, my, uh, yeah, there was, there was, you know, um, my father was imprisoned um, for several years um, for his sexual misconduct on a minor. And so, yeah, that's pretty, uh, pretty accurate, I would say. And that's just, I'm just speaking from my nuclear family experience. Um, I can't speak for other families in the church because I don't know what they experienced, but I do know of the culture that, um, of that these families are living in, um, it does unfortunately, you know, allow for. I do know a lot of. I do know some survivors, um, and so it is. Um, it is, you know, it's a part of the culture and the church, and I think that it does get um, misused. And I did, you know, I did see that happening. I mean, you even said that they encourage. I mean, this is not sex abuse, but you said they encourage girls to marry very young. 
they did yeah absolutely it was um and it was very control it was a very controlling thing and it was very um you know it was so obsessive with our sexuality um that it's just impossible to deny that that was not going on you know and so i think that's a big and i think that that's a you know a really hard point that i've had to deal with a lot in therapy you know i fortunately did not experience sexual assault as a child and so i'm very very fortunate in that regard um because i do know so many survivors that have grown up you know in in the cult in the church you know and have just have you know so many challenges that they face every day as you know they just kind of you know deal with what the what happens to your mind and your body and your physiology when you're you're so young and you have to deal with you know such great traumas and so i know for my traumas as a child was you know like spiritual abuse and so that caused quite a bit of damage indeed but you know not not the sort of damage that you know that i've seen happen to my friends you know well thank god i mean unfortunately i think even outside of cults girls face yeah. a lot of this kind of stuff yeah, I think but so. it seems like it's an easier way to do it in a cult or in a Definitely. church right as we know the oh, for church. sure the silence there's a culture yeah. of silence and of purity and of um yeah it's definitely um just it gets it's it can just fly under the right there's a whole like the culture of oh the man is always right and he's in charge and you know it's just um i've, I've seen it abused well that's not particular to cults either <laughs> I right. would say most religions are that way. So actually, what is so special about your cult? I'm kidding. I mean, that is a good question. What is so special about yeah, you? Yeah, quit complaining. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so um, something else people ask, and again, I'm sure they're getting it from Netflix, just like I did, which makes it sound like morons, honestly, that we don't know enough about this. But they said that, you know, the fact that you were able to leave, so it seemed easily, I bet it wasn't easy for you. Mm -hmm. But also you talked about, and maybe I didn't understand this or other people didn't understand correctly. It seemed like you were able to interact fairly regularly regularly with people not in the cult was mm -hmm. that correct or did i and they misunderstand that no that's they, correct that's so they correct. didn't understand why i mean like they they didn't understand i guess their their cults make you feel like you're being indoctrinated and brainwashed and they didn't understand how could that work i mean this isn't really a question for you probably but how could that work do you think when you're able to go freely about the world and you even said your dad i guess got cable at some point so mm -hmm. how did they keep control over people i guess was a question that people had they were confused about that Sure. Yeah. And that's a great question that I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of psychologists that specialize in cult recovery could, um, could address, you know, it's not like every cult is off in the woods, like totally isolated from society. A lot of these are just operating as churches, you know, and they're just in the community or they're operating as communities, you know, <laughs> like it's, right. it's, there are, um, there's a podcast I recommend uh, that Mayim Bialik does. It's called The Bialik Breakdown. And she just did an episode recently. It was like a summer, um, it was a summer episode. So it was like a best of, but this was something they talked about was how to spot a cult and what are the different signs of them? Because like people like you work with, you know, can be in a 
and then you know just be like oh it's a church like if you ask any of my family members they're just gonna be like what we just go to church what and then like you'll ask like my cousins and they'll be like no that's a weird church you know or our neighbors you know like no, no but that makes sense because a lot of them do that like i always use and please don't people don't write to me about this but i use um mosques where not everyone who's Arab, just like to clarify, but mosques where um, an imam is telling everyone what the Quran says because they can't read Arabic. And mm. sometimes the imam who's telling them what it says also don't, they don't read Arabic. So <laughs> it's really just a person saying what he thinks or what he wants the, the people listening to think. So it's not, I mean, I use that just as an example. Like I'm not saying the Quran is actually very, there are very beautiful things about it. And I have friends who are observant Muslims, but they even point out that if someone's just telling you what they think, like it, there's some element of, of telling you what you need to think. And so mm -hmm. I don't see how that's so different necessarily from a cult. Um, you know, and, and I guess like all cults maybe aren't bad. Is that true? Do you think, or is that not true? Because I was going to say, even imams who don't know what they're reading, they may not all be saying terrible things to the congregants and they're all leaving with beautiful information, but it still may not be accurate. I guess that's my point. So it's not, it's not necessarily fact or based on fact, like in, you know, in either case maybe, but do you think there could be a situation where it's sort of like a cult and everyone listens to everything this leader says, but that it's not necessarily all for bad? Or do you think that is an oxymoron? Um, it's a very challenging question. Right. No, I know. <laughs> Again, I'm not an expert in religion. And so, and I feel like, I feel like that someone who is, who does understand like how religions are formed and how cults are like the way that I see it, um, is that, you know, a cult can form off of any belief system. Um, and it's a matter of, you know, there's, a, there's a few different like check part points that I think that a cult has to make it has to be amount a matter of like what people are willing to sacrifice I think with their families you know what kind of what kind of you know is there spiritual abuse going on you know is there a centralized figure that is you know calling the shots and being controlling and is there you know are are you know young girls being groomed to be good wives you know that's kind of a good question are does this organization believe that they are the only ones that are right about whatever you know spiritual shape that they are you know these are the signs that you can look for and you know and also you know sort of this there's kind of there's you'll see predatory behavior on you know like desperate people you know people that are are sick or you know are um just you know like lost like oh they love the divorced you know it's just they're after just whoever's feeling lonely which is everybody by the way we're all feeling lonely we're all in this on our own you know that's what no but it's true that's why it's an interesting thing and i know you're not an expert you're not here as an expert on religion but it's just right. something interesting that that first of all that you even had the wherewithal to share that people commented on and also that you had the wherewithal to leave is pretty impressive. Like, I don't know whatever the religion or cult or not a cult, like, you know, do you see yourself that way? Someone that's extraordinarily strong and resilient. Like, how do you see yourself? Uh, yes, I do see my, I do see my resilience. Absolutely. And I do, I do feel my strength, you know, even when my, maybe even, especially when my muscles are extra tired, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I know because when I face, when I face things now, um, I, bend to hell and back you know and so i know if i'm going through hell you just keep going you know i've got 
these I've developed all of these coping mechanisms and skills you know beyond we you know develop coping mechanisms you know don't aren't always healthy but i also worked with so many therapists over the years um especially when it came to you know distancing myself from from my family as a man you know as as means of not you know not letting them hurt me anymore you know they're not trying to hurt me they just really really believe what they believe and you yeah. can be a christian and not be spiritually abusive it's totally right a feasible thing it's kind of what jesus was about and so i've seen it happen i see it in action every day and so even though the relationship with my family you know is you know, it's, it's strange, you know, I still love them very much. And, you know, and I'm able to, I think I might've touched on this last time, but I'm able to really appreciate the good that came from the family. Cause there's still love there, you know, and there was always love there in action. It just, you know, there was just also, you know, a lot of abuse going on. And so, you know, it, I think that's why um, the rest of my family stuck together is because, you know, they love and like each other and they are, you know, in their shuttle, they are all nearby. You know, they right. can, <laughs> they've got their whole, like their whole lives are just like built into this lovely, you know, it's a great family unit. Um, it's just not safe for me. And so I had to find, I had to seek that and build that elsewhere and most specifically within myself. No, that's amazing. I mean, how, what would you say if you are willing to share it, what would you say some of your coping mechanisms are or were during this time of departing the cult and, and saying to yourself, even though I know they love me, it's not good for me and I need to go out on my own. Yeah. That's probably really scary and really hard. It and is. What it did is. you do? Definitely not. Yeah. So I had some. So as as far as like an unhealthy coping mechanism, I drank a lot. Um, but as far as like a healthy coping mechanism, I got myself into therapy so I could develop healthier coping skills. Like, for example, when I'm experiencing anxiety, I know to bring myself into the present by you know naming colors around me you know i see a white wall i see you know a, a black electrical outlet and a blue towel um and that brings me into the moment and i can remind myself things like that was then and this is now so when i experience like an intrusive thought you know something violent or unpleasant or just sad and disturbing you know maybe a past trauma or an imagined future trauma um i can interrupt it um, and that's the most important thing is, is to interrupt my brain because it's so, be, because I've, you know, I've experienced trauma. I have a very extra resilient mind that is, uh, you know, in fight or flight or freeze mode more than necessary. And so I've had to learn to interrupt that and be like, Hey, it's okay. <laughs> no, that's really interesting. And I think other people can relate to that very much. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. I think that the, I think that's why this technique is so helpful for me and, you know, doing things like, um, I use like the calm app to meditate. You know, I like to do, a, I like to do an eight to 10 minute guided meditation. 
um, or maybe a more lengthy session depending on, you know, the day, but, you know, just to work a little bit of that mindfulness into my day so I can just kind of clear it because my, you know, when I feel fatigued or stressed out, you know, that trauma, those trauma symptoms can just pop up and like present themselves. And so it's really important for me to stay aware of my body and what my body is feeling. And so, you know, if I'm experiencing a lot of back pain, you know, yes, maybe it's because I'm working a lot of doubles as a waitress right now, part of it. Yes. But also, (laughs) you know, my back hurts the most when I'm feeling stressed out at work, you know, it's, it's, if I'm having a smooth, non-stressful shift, you know, my back's not likely to spasm as much, you know, whereas when I've got, you know, I've forgotten ranch and diet Coke and people are angry. (laughs) (laughs) This is my present. This is my current truth. (laughs) (laughs) But it is how, you know, it is, it does kind of just show a representation of how I'm able to use those coping mechanisms and, you know, that resilience, you know, came at a very high price, right? A very high price, but it does, you know, come in handy, you know, on the day to day. Do you still struggle with things like that now? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Things like anxiety. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Every day. Yeah. Oh, I'm going through a divorce. <laughs> yeah, no, we didn't even get up to today. Before we do, actually, that's a good introduction sort of to, to you now. Uh, we've oh, been sure. mostly talking about you going up in the call to leaving, but um, yeah. before we get into that, Another question was, how did you or did you not get to a place where you actually trust relationships with people, like to let them get close enough to you after these experiences? Even though like sometimes with our head, we can say, oh, obviously not everyone is in a cult or not everyone is Mm -hmm. an extremely religious Christian or whatever it is. And that, you know, it's not going to be good for me and the philosophy is not going to be good for me. You know, even if you say that in your head, it doesn't always translate into your heart and your body. So how did you trust people again or open up to people, let them open up to you and believe that you could maybe have relationships, not just with partners, friends, you know, like we sort of make our own family, like, so with people that you allow to become like sisters or brothers or, you know what I mean? Or pseudo parents, like, how were you able to do that? Or did you not do that? Were you not able to do that? I was able to do that. And the reason is because there was always a kind presence in my life. There was always someone who was kind to me, you know, my grandfather, a friend in the neighborhood, you know, it's a lot of like neighborhood friends were, were good for me. You know, this was the eighties and the nineties. And so I, you know, we were running around outside, knocking on each other's doors, running through people's houses, getting fed by other people's mothers, you know, (laughs) it was that kind of, um, that kind of growing up. And so I always knew um, that people were capable of kindness and I always knew what love felt like and I always knew what it felt like to be loved. And so I was able to, you know, experience that juxtaposition and, and in, you know, when I really started to do the trauma work was when I was able to recognize that, you know, I think that was probably a part of the recovery was, you know, cause you go back, you get a part of, a part of trauma is like, you get stuck in like, um, in like the, that, that time, 
you know, where you were hurt. And so it's, you get, you have to do a lot of healing. I've been doing a, that's been my therapy lately is, is doing a lot of like making space for my younger selves. And, you know, when I start to feel, you know, that anxiety or that depression, um, you know, that I, I ask myself, how old am I right now? You know, and how old do I feel right now? And I'm able to like, just give space to that part of myself and just be like, look, you know, it likes, you know, be like, right now I'm feeling 25, you know? And while I, you know, and I'll think about what was going on, you know, did I experience a trauma at that age? Yes, I did. Uh, you know, who am I in love with? You know, what, what is, you know, what's the good parts? What's my favorite thing to do right now? Like, who are my friends? Where am I going on my nights off? You know, um, it's things like that. And like, I can give space to that, that self. And even though I can't change what happened, I can at least allow for room to feel whatever I need to feel in order to heal that part of myself. And it's, you know, it's very interesting what ages do pop up because I've been doing this, this work for the last, um, you know, pretty intensively for the last like six weeks, I would say. And, um, it's very helpful. It's very, you want to explain to people, I know what you mean, but I think Mm -hmm. that it might sound confusing to people that you say what ages pop up. Do you want to explain what you mean by that for people who don't understand it? And it happens to everyone, but I don't know that everyone actually understands it. So maybe if you don't mind to explain what you mean by that. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, I was, um, you know, it's when you're feeling like an extreme emotion and, you know, maybe like you're hungry and angry, right. Or something. And then it's like, oh my God, I feel like I'm five years old right now. You know, it's like, or it's like, you have like a memory of like, maybe a song will take you back a song songs often trigger memories and especially when it comes to like a certain like age frame right and so you know a song will come on and you'll start to feel it maybe a certain way and that's a time that's an opportunity for you to ask yourself how do I feel what is the memory that I'm experiencing right now how old am I in this memory and that's how you access that and so it's um you know it's like one of those it's like that feeling like oh this takes me back to the eighth grade you know it's like that Thank you. That's really helpful. Um, so now how um, can you explain something else? I'm sorry, not that you're here to teach everyone everything, but so for some people who are older, so our audience is over 40 and I would mm-hmm. say most people know about sexuality, but for some people, particularly maybe our older audience who didn't grow up in a time where they could even say things like bisexual, maybe they are, and they don't even know how to express the feelings. Could you explain to people if you're comfortable again, to explain what it is exactly and how it is that you said, so in the earlier podcast, we were talking about, you said that you were gay and that was like, not, that was really something that was a problem in the cult. But now you just said you're getting divorced from your husband. So for yeah. people who are like, I don't understand this at all. What is she talking about? Is there a way that you find like easy to sort of explain this to someone who's new to this concept? Or maybe he's like, sure, oh my gosh, absolutely. that's how I am. And I never even realized. Hi, yes, I'm bisexual. <laughs> and from that's uh, bisexual is when you are, I'm able, I'm attracted to men and women. And so I'm capable of having relationships with men or women. And so that has been, uh, so that is what that is. And so I, um, I have married and both of my marriage, I married men. 
um, the majority of my, it's like a spectrum, right? Sexuality is a spectrum. There's a Kinsey scale and, you know, some people are some on the bisexuality scale, you know, are more same sex oriented or perhaps, um, you can, I also, um, I also identify as queer, which means cause like with bi, sometimes bisexuality, you know, you say men and women, well, that's not the only two genders, you know, not everybody identifies as a man or a woman. And so, um, in that regard, I also identify as queer because it's not just men or women. I'm a, I'm attracted to human people right. <laughs> as a human person, and it's a case by case basis. Right. So, <laughs> Wait, so explain what you mean by queer. I think I'm. I think maybe I'm going to learn here too. Wait, so sure. what, if you're not, you're not a man or a woman. What does that mean? You are. Uh, if you identify, there's um, non-binary. You oh, know, non-binary. No, I don't know if that's yes, people okay. who identify as non-binary or okay, asexual. Okay. Yeah. Right. 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 So, no, I got it. Um, so the way that I experience that as queer is, is you know, when I'm attracted to a person, I'm attracted to that person, and it's it, it doesn't it's regardless of their gender, their gender, or um, yeah. You're, I have to say, gonna... on some level, that sounds so incredibly beautiful that you fall you fall in love with the person, the soul, like the mm -hmm. being, not the body. Not right. that it's wrong to be attracted to the body, obviously, like that's part Bodies of it. Bodies are great. <laughs> I know, of course, but I mean, it just it sounds actually so much deeper and more beautiful than being <laughs> gay or straight. But the yeah. other thing is, selfishly, I feel like you are taking too many people from the dating pool because you're taking everyone. So you're uh, I have co your competition for everyone. I have, I have formed a cult. They are all mine. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't seem right. Does it seem a little selfish to you? Just FYI. It's a big twist on this whole, this whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> so, so you were married or you're still married now and you are getting divorced and that yes. you weren't married very long. Are you? I think, I feel like when no. I met you, you were um i saw wedding pictures or they were maybe not new pictures oh no those are yeah no we were only married for we were only married for two years we got married in 2020 oh so we're sorry to hear that if it was a good thing if it wasn't then we're glad to hear it but um so that must be hard <laughs> yes it's very challenging indeed indeed we're able you know we are we are still friends and um and so that is good um but yes it is it is gut-wrenching to be sure. Do you think about anything? Um, I mean, to me, you're so young, but do you ever think in terms of age, like I'm getting older, why is this happening now? Or I wish it wasn't happening now because of my age. I'm going to guess you say no to that, but I'm just curious. Do you ever think about that? Oh my God. You know what I do is I beat my younger self up. I'm just like, you know, you had a chance to learn this like three years ago. Like I didn't have to get remarried. I was like, I got married. Like, I want to say, within a year of my first divorce being finalized, you know, I wasn't making choices from a confident and secure place that loved myself at that point. I was really, I, and so I have to forgive myself for, you know, making those choices that I made that put me in where I am today to where I'm just like, wow, that was a different choice than perhaps I would have made if I knew what I know now, but of course, isn't that the way of it? I guess that's just that's, age. That's true it? of everything though. Hindsight yeah. 2020, there's a reason for that expression. Uh, I know. And then like, 
<laughs> and then looking back on the year 2020, good God, how painful is that? Right. <laughs> oh, that's right. So you, I wasn't even thinking about that. So you were married like right before or during the pandemic? January, January of 2020. So it was just starting. Like it was, we were just, we were talking about it, but we were still traveling. Ah, oh, so yeah. And it was, um, I'm, I'm thankful for the experience. I'm grateful for the relationship for sure. I definitely grew as a person. Um, but yeah, it's just, I'm realizing how much deprogramming I still need, you know, <laughs> that makes sense, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, it really does. It really does. And that's why I have to like forgive myself because of course I, you know, I would spiral and get remarried because, you know, that was just like what I was like taught to do. Right. <laughs> like I was taught to find a man as so he could take care of me. And I found myself in that. And then I was like, woke up like after like a long, angry nap, like a two year angry nap. And I was just like, what am I doing? Where, where am I? This is not at all what I want. <laughs> I've totally changed all my entire life to make this other person happy. Why am I such a people pleaser? You know, really? Oh my gosh, let me think. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but I, I probably could guess the answer to that. Huh? Why do you think <laughs> you're people pleaser? You were trained to be that way. Yeah. I or was programmed to be that way, whatever. Yeah. Programmed is a very, very good word for it because it's just like, oh, right. Like I just went to like default mode because I was under stress. And so it was just like, you know, I'm looking at those things and examining that and, and forgiving myself and being like, okay, look, you know, now what, you know, so let's move forward with love and see if we can break uh, some of these bad patterns. Um, I, I think overwhelmingly people are extremely hard on themselves, not just you. I don't know right. why that is that we don't give ourselves a break. And like, even to say that you forgive yourself, you know, it is mm -hmm. what it is. You guys, it's like, it's no different from having a boyfriend for two years. The only reason why you're beating yourself up is because you got married. It's nothing. It was a party. You have some great pictures, which I saw on Instagram. You look beautiful. He looks great. That's it. And now you move on. Like there's nothing to even beat yourself up about. You know, Thanks. we're changing, right? Life is an evolution and it keeps moving uh -huh. forward. And in fact, um, what we were originally talking about when I realized that you had so much more to share when I, and I said, we should redo this podcast so people are never going to hear that part. But I originally reached out to you because I knew that you were a model who was, I think you were 40 when we first talked. We didn't mm -hmm. talk, it was on Instagram. And that was really cool. I thought like, wow, you look fabulous. So I love that it debunks that whole myth that, you know, at a certain age, like 40 and up, you're just like 500 years old. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you're sexy. You're beautiful. We've already put pictures of you on our site and we'll do it again so that people can see if they've not seen them. But, you know, it's just, it's ludicrous to say that your life is on the downside at 40 in terms of attractiveness. But not only did you model, then out of nowhere, I saw you doing stand-up. Like, so in your personal life, you're really evolving and changing. And this is just, to me, this is just more of it. Like, I'm sure you'll have many more romances. Maybe you'll even marry a few more times. I, I say, who gives a fuck? Like, seriously, <laughs> stop beating yourself up. You know what? Have the biggest, fullest life while you're working on yourself, if that makes you happy. You have nothing to apologize for. You're a survivor. And you're resilient. You're doing amazing things. And you you married a gorgeous guy. You were gorgeous. You have gorgeous pictures. And hopefully you had some fun in the two years. And now you move on to the next person. That'll be <laughs> 10 bucks for that advice. Thank you. 
Thank you. I, I, so but much. I mean it. I saw, I'm not, I mean, I was kind of joking, but I'm not joking. I mean, I'll there's nothing it. to forgive. Like you're doing amazing things and you're hilarious. The little I saw of your stand up, you are hilarious. Thank you so much. Thank you. That, that was an amazing pep talk. I really appreciate it. <laughs> you feel free to rewind. Just keep playing that. But oh my God, I'm totally listen- going to, I was like, imagine, oh, yeah. like, I'm going to listen to this like every morning. <laughs> well, you can call me. I'm really happy to like yell at you live anytime. Also Thanks. tell us now how you got into stand-up comedy. I started, so I started stand-up comedy at 30 years old and I love, um, also it's not new. It's, it's 12 years, 12 years in now. Um, but, um, yeah, I started when I was 30. It's so fun because I was on, um, I, I got to be on NPR talking about the very, my very first time I was on NPR, I was talking about doing standup at 30. Cause they also, the editor there, they were like, that's fun. You started doing comedy at 30. Let's talk about it. And so, um, I have, you can see it in my link tree. It's link uh, link tree slash Sarah Dunn. And there's a link to the story there. And I'll put that in the, in the group, but I, I just want to ask you something though. Why did you only recently with well, two questions, actually, oh, one sure. is why were you on NPR to begin with? And the other thing is why did you only recently, or did I just not see that? I only recently saw you post a stand up, like a little bit of a stand up, and, and I guess I assumed it was new actually. Have you been yeah. posting it? Maybe I just missed it. No, I hadn't been on stage for, for a few years. Oh. And so I started when I got to Denver, I actually started doing, I got back into it. Um, when Bob Sackett died, I was like really shook by that. And so I, um, I was, I, too. that's a horrible story. That was, that was a rough one. And so I may his memory always be a blessing. And we, I was like, what am I doing with my life? You know, it was one of the questions that I asked myself, like the next morning after he passed and, and I had been writing a lot, um, but I was nowhere near a stage. I was in like a small town in the mountains and I was like, okay. So I went on clubhouse, an app where you can, um, it's kind of like live podcasts or like a live conference call and it's all audio and they had, they hosted, you know, open mic comedy there. And so I, I went, know they do that. On, I know a clubhouse is, I let you explain it because I'm sure nobody else knows what it is, but right. I really do things like that on clubhouse. I thought it was just mimics a phone call and you like are eavesdropping. Is that not right? Uh, you can it can also mimic a comedy show yeah it's uh it can be a com- an audio comedy show yeah it's really fun um because you know they have a stage and they have hosts and guests and you can go up and do some work on your material and then the great part was uh you get feedback you know you could hear people laughing you could hear uh, and then you could hear what the other comics thought about your material and what they wanted to hear more of, you know, um, that's a really fun part of the comedy experience. And so I, um, you know, I've always wanted to be a stand-up comedian, you know, when I was, uh, when I was in homeschool and had access to comedy, that's our, to to cable, I was watching comedy. And so I'm watching stand-up comedy. And so I really see, uh, I see stand-up comedians, especially from like the eighties, um, and nineties to be, you know, like they were my teachers, like my elementary school teachers. Cause I didn't have any of them. And so it's right. just the, the adults that were telling me about the world were all stand-up comedians. And so my inner monologue is just kind of shaped like that in that cadence. And, and so I started, I was doing theater when I was in high school and college and and then I was uh, doing improvisation, and then once I hit thirty, 
I, you know, was like ready to just like be on stage by myself with a microphone. And so I had, I did it for about five years real steadily. And then, um, I don't know, I took a break probably to do a divorce or something. (laughs) (laughs) That's good material. Yeah. Right. It's it's very good material. (laughs) And so so that's, um, but yeah, I've been doing it um, a lot more now that I'm in Denver because Denver is a really good comedy city. There's a lot of breweries that are happy to throw a microphone up for us. And there's, I would say between when I go to a microphone and there's, you know, sometimes there's 50 to 80 comedians on the list. And so there's a lot of people out here going up and chopping it up. And so it's really fun. It's a great community. And I started in Dallas um, and I've done stand-up in San Francisco and Los Angeles. And did I do stand-up in New York? I haven't done stand-up in New York. You must do it in New York. and you will. I will. I will come to New York and I will do stand-up. I will do two minutes of comedy in New York because that's what they get. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) You get two. That's what I've heard. I mean, you know, I can, of course, manifest, you know, Radio City Music Hall or whatever, but <laughs> How do you especially do with it? that kind of a can you great be funny in two minutes. Huh? You get two minutes. Um, so, yeah. Can you be you funny in two be. minutes? Oh, my God. You have to be funny in two minutes. You got to be funny inside of, what did Johnny say? Eight seconds? Oh, is that true? He said that? Johnny Carson, Johnny I'm Carson. assuming you mean? Yeah, Johnny no. Carson had a... um. Oh my God. I love your audience. I could say John, I could say Johnny and y'all. y'all oh, yeah, you could talk about all the old red buttons. Like some of these, not everyone knows these people, but um, <laughs> I just actually just came back. I was abroad and people didn't know like um, that red buttons. Uh, what's his name again? Oh my God. From Sanford and son. I just totally blanked out. The red Fox. Yes. They didn't know who he was. Oh. I said, you guys didn't have that show. You didn't have Sanford and son. I, I realized like they don't have all the same shows that they didn't. Now I'm sure they do with cable. But I said, oh my gosh, you missed some of the best um, comedy. Yeah, you got to get that. You got to get on the Red Fox, like his party albums. Like you got to get the records. You got to listen. Oh, they must be so fast. Comedy. Oh my God. Yeah. It's formative. (laughs) Oh gosh. No, but all those people, they're just like Jonathan Winters, like some of like these old. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's great. So that's amazing. So you, do you do that? Like in eight seconds or less, you can be funny. It's pretty impressive. I mean, you know, I want, I like to think that there's something happens, you know, I do, I get (laughs) laughs. I do get laughs and I have been able to get laughs inside of eight seconds because I also, you know, physical comedy is a very easy way to get a laugh, you know? So that's been something that I've noticed happens on stage kind of intuitively for me because I will, you know, you know, I write my material and then I'll go up with that material but while I'm working it out while I'm figuring out how the set goes and what jokes go where you know you work with the audience what's working with the audience sometimes you know the joke you think is going to fly will fall flat or maybe even anger people (laughs) there's a lot of emotions that are are that can fly around in a, in a theater. And so it's fun to play with that. And, and I've definitely, that was something that I noticed like right away when I started doing stand-up comedy was when a joke fell flat, I could still get a laugh because of my reaction, because that's when I do, that's when I think crowd work is appropriate. Like I'm not the kind of comedian that's going to like talk to the audience. (laughs) 
<laughs> like and be like, oh, this guy, you know, like right. I mean, yeah. maybe if I think it's funny, you know, I'll point out something unusual that's going on, you know, if I need to, but I don't rely on the audience because I'm really trying to get like a good, like, like a set, like I can perform like on like a late night show, you know, I would love to have a tight five so I could go on late night with Stephen Colbert, you know, that would be, that would be beautiful. But in order to have that tight five, I'm also going to need to have like a good 30 minutes that I can just kind of tour around, you know, and to different clubs and different cities and different venues, different crowds and see what actually works. Because what's funny to, you know, these 50 comedians in Denver may not fly in Dallas, you know, it may not fly. That's absolutely true. You know that my daughter just, um, she did study abroad this summer in London and she, um, she's a theater major. So the teacher took the whole class to see Back to the Future in the West End, which I didn't even realize was a show. I don't know if you knew that. I mean, I, we know it's a movie, right? The Michael J. Fox Yeah, movie. I didn't know it was a play. Oh, yeah, you didn't know either? Yeah, so she was telling me um, that they had like gratuitous jokes that clearly would only do well in LA or New York. And, and I said, but do people laugh in London? And she said, no. Like they wouldn't, they didn't, like she said, it wasn't even necessary for the plot. So she and the other students from, you know, she goes to NYU were saying that they, they thought it was very weird that they had those jokes in there. I said, you know, yeah. I guess they're not going to write a script for a play for each state or country, but it, it does seem weird that they wouldn't like modify the humor, like that specific humor stuff that is gratuitous, that didn't have anything to do with the plot line. So yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about because they, they literally just told me that story where it didn't, not one person laughed and they were even cringing because it was so awkward. Um, yeah, I hope the book writers are on that. My gosh. Yeah, that's no, the thing. No, but it's, I understand what you're saying. Because yeah, being a stand-up comedian, it. I can just be like, all right, that joke is gone. <laughs> I know, but it makes sense. Like, you wouldn't make a joke. Like, I could see you making fun of New York. I used to live in Texas. And uh -huh. when I went to a movie, and I never realized how often people make fun of New Yorkers, actually, in movies, or at least in those days. But when I went to a movie <laughs> in Dallas where they made fun of New York, and it wasn't even funny, everyone would laugh. So like, um, I understand exactly what you're saying. Like, and I was like, that's not even a good joke. Like I could give you better jokes, make fun of New Yorkers, but you know, so I, I understand what you're saying. Exactly. Like you have to modify for your audience, but obviously, you know, yeah. that and you're smart enough to know that. Um, true. Wow. It's true. Well, and not all comedians know that this is the thing. <laughs> that's better for you because it moves you up the ladder. So that's fine. So, to, um, so let's hear your opening. Do you have an opening that you use or do you not want to share that with us? Oh God, no. I, uh, let's see. Okay. 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 Yeah. I'll share. Okay. I was like, I had to think. What do you say when you get on the stage? I like, I don't have an opening, but yes, I do. Okay. Okay. This is fun. This is what I play. Okay. Hi, my name is Sarah. It is spelled with an H, but it auto corrects to Satan. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. It's hilarious. It is. And it really like, it opens. I love it because it's a really fun premise to play with. And so I am using right now the set that I'm working on and developing. Now I have a show coming up September 8th in Boulder, Colorado. And so right now I'm telling that that show, I'm going to be telling the story of, you know, how I feel like I look like I'm in the middle of like my villain origin story, you know, like, <laughs> like I used to be a Disney princess, right? But some shit went down and now I live in a trailer park with my ex-husband. Wait, is that true? That is all true. <laughs> Your life is a little bit like a comedy, like a dark yeah. comedy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it really is. I always have like you know, I have my journal and I'll doodle and I, I focus on my, you know, I have my writing projects that I'll focus on 
each day, but then I'll also have like imaginary plays going on in my head about like different elements of my life and be like, and then when I write a play about this, you know, I'm <laughs> or, sure that's a great outlet for you. It, it is. It is a really good outlet. I think it's probably not. I think it's one of my healthy coping mechanisms. Oh, it absolutely is. And you know what? I have a friend. So I was a writing major in college and I have a friend who's also a writer. And he said to me, very often he would say to me, what is to become of us? He said, are we normal? I don't think we're normal. And I said, if we were normal, our writing would not be good and we'd be so incredibly boring. So I just say the same thing to you. And who wants to be normal anyway? What even is that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Define normal. But it's true. Like, I think that people who go through shit, like you have, and maybe he and I have, we're more creative. I just feel that way. Maybe we're born creative a little bit too, but I think that it helps your creativity. So that's an upside from having stuff you have to clean up when you get older, but right. I'm sure it makes you extremely creative. Yeah. And it helps me to remember that I am not my trauma, you know, yeah. but also to be grateful for, you know, the, the fact that the, you know, I've developed the way that I developed, you know, I, I have these skills because of the things that I went through and not all of them were great and some of them were awful but because of that I am who I am today and it's different shape than I could have ever imagined right and you're actually when you look back at it all and you have many more years to go Mm -hmm. you'll see all the different facets of your life put together is going to be just amazing history mosaic yeah yeah but I have to ask you, I don't know if they record um, when you're in Boulder. I don't know if it will be recorded, but if it is, I would so love to see it. And I would love to post it. If you, I don't know if you ever do record any of your routines or you'd rather not post it, but I think it'd be so fun for people to see you. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I am, I, I will be, um, I don't know if I'll be recording that set, but you know, I, I have a camera, so I probably could. Um, yeah, I would love to um, share that um, with you. And so I, I will I will make that happen. I will have more of my, my more of my stand up. I've just changed my schedule. I took some power back. <laughs> here's, just, here's some advice that I'm going to offer anyone at any age uh, in the service industry. When you begin a new job, do not mark yourself as open availability, even if you are a flexible person, perhaps especially if you are a flexible person, uh, because they will read that as you can always work every day, all of the time. They'll suck you dry. And yeah, exactly. They will take more than you give. And so I took some power back yesterday. This was another part of my great therapy and personal work is setting these boundaries. I was like, okay, I'm available, but not for everything. You know, <laughs> you. No, you know what people tend to do too much, particularly women. And again, now I'm sure I'll hear from people talking sure. about that. Like, what about men? Why are you saying that? So oh. everyone's going to hate me in this, uh, in this podcast, but no, I think women tend to do that anyway. And um, it's not good. It's not good to just be so available and not have any time for yourself. You know, yeah, no, no, it's good. But if I could just go back one second to NPR, because I never did have the question. I didn't let you answer, I should say. So how did you get on NPR? That's pretty impressive. Thank you. Oh, yeah, it's one of my favorite, favorite things. It's like, it's both like a a great crowning achievement and then also a wonderful, like high lofty future goal um, to return. Uh, So the first time I was on, I, um, I was a contributing writer for the blog that the, um, that the NPR station in Dallas had like an, has a blog called art and seek. It's wonderful artandseek.org, And they write about culture and arts in Dallas, Fort Worth Metroplex. And so I had been working as a music editor 
uh, when I was around 30 years old. And so I had made a, a name for myself in knowing what the music scene was like. And so I started covering, um, I started covering different little, you know, secret jam sessions and, you know, just interviewing different musicians and talking about, um, how I covered the whiz, you know, that that's so cool. What a cool job. It was really fun. And so, um, and that was how I was actually had when I was covering, uh, this play that the, I want to say the Wiley theater center did in the Dallas arts district. Um, the editor, and I were speaking afterwards at a little after party. And I told her that I had started doing stand-up comedy and she was, it was a very, actually felt very similar vibe to what you were just talking about. How, when you saw me, how I started modeling at, at 40. And so it was very much that like same vibe of like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. It's something I like to do. I'm going to do it. Right. And so I wrote a story with her. I worked with the editor, Sam Baker, um, there on NPR and it played in the mornings during all things considered and morning edition. And so it was very exciting to go into the studio and record, you know, my own words and hear myself in the microphone. Cause goodness, I love that sound. You also have an amazing voice. You Thank can do voiceover so work. I don't know if you've ever wanted to do that. I do. Yeah. Really have I'm a great voice. Agent. Yes. If you would like to hire me for voiceover work, you can contact Natalie at natalielintalent.com. I'll put that in a link too, but no, really great voice. Um, sorry Thank to you. interrupt you. No worries. I am. Um, it's a great interruption. Uh, and so that was how I, I was on NPR the first time. The second time I was on NPR, I, I applied to be a contestant on the game show uh, Ask Me Another, hosted by Ophira Eisenberg. And so they were coming to San Francisco for San Francisco Sketch Festival. And I, it was such a fun process. It kind of felt like um, a college admissions test. You know, there was a lot of <laughs> essay questions. They wanted to really like get to know the contestants. And then there was, a, you know, a phone call with a producer to, you know, hear my voice and all of that and see if I'm going to be cool on stage. And um, indeed I was. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so that was really, that was another like crowning achievement because that one I was able to appear uh, oh my gosh, I think I'm, I'm literally wearing the t-shirt for this festival right now. Oh, that's now. so funny. Um, yeah, as, as San Francisco Sketch Festival owns my heart forever. <laughs> like I love, I, I have the deepest loyalty to a festival that a person can have. I think that's not like, I, I think when you think of like a festival, you think of like Coachella and like hippies, right. like, you know, out in like the desert. This is a different fest. This is in San Francisco. So it's in like theaters that are like dilapidated, you know, and like beautiful, ornate, gorgeous architecture, uh, you know, sprawled all over the city. This festival takes two, three weeks and it's just shows most nights of the week. And everybody comes up from LA, everybody comes over from New York and, and all of the comics from, you know, from like, you know, my level and up, you know, and, and by my level, I mean, I started as a volunteer at this festival and it, I got to work alongside some of my heroes. That's how I like have, like, it was such an incredible community to be just like welcomed into. It was like the TV opened up and hugged me. <laughs> Sounds amazing. It was incredible. And so I really have such 
you know, such love for that whole scene. And so that was a really, really like formative part for me as a comedian. And um, yeah, it's nice to, it's nice to be in, to be back in the comedy scene. You know, I feel like during the pandemic, we did a lot of Zoom comedy, you know, and I feel like that opened up a lot of doors um, as far as like podcast goes because right. people were like, okay, so it's, it's not too daunting to, to do a podcast. We can make this quality, you know, so I've, I've enjoyed listening. Well, that's all sounds great. And um, I would love to follow your path as well as see you live. If you come here, that'd be so nice. You're welcome to stay here as well. I live um, in New York city, but um, I don't want to take too much of your time again. I think I did that last time. We usually finish after speaking to someone, we ask them four questions, which are so silly compared to what we've been talking about. But mm -hmm. if I could just ask you them, if you don't mind. Um, yes. So, okay, this will be interesting coming from you, I just realized. So the first one is, what is something your parents never talked to you about that you wish they had? Pink Floyd. Ah, I thought it was going to be much more intense. That's <laughs> Pink Floyd. So when did you discover Pink Floyd? 25 years old. A full oh, girl. you're kidding. That's so sad. Right. My, my, my fontanelle was fully closed. My prefrontal <laughs> cortex had developed completely, <laughs> which was good, you know, cause that's when I started smoking cannabis. So like physiologically speaking, I did the right thing in waiting that long, but I did, it, it did take, you know, like a stranger at a Chili's to teach me about it. And so, that but that stranger became terrible. my, but, yeah. Oh my gosh. Still. I didn't even think about things like that. So for yeah. better or worse, there are personality traits that we inherit from our parents. Is this something that you wish you had not inherited from your parents? <laughs> I, I, I can make, um, I can make these, like, I've, I've, I feel like I've been, I've given them a lot of attention on this, a uh, couple of episodes. I've, I can make some really goofy faces that are my father's faces and like, I, they, they happen just like naturally, like I'll catch them. I, I'll catch myself in the mirror or I'll feel myself making the face and I'll be like, oh my God, I must look exactly like my father right now. And I'll get like startled because <laughs> I, um, and they don't, and then there's their goofy faces. So they don't photograph well, you know? And so it's like, it's because when he was, whenever he's photographed, you know, he would like to make a goofy face, you know? And like my brothers always do that. And so like, because they're awkward that, probably. Right. Oh, super yeah. awkward, goofy. You just like make it rubber face, you know? And so like, and my brothers would do the same thing. So it was just like, and so I would do this, that. And I have looked back on like my archives of my pictures and like, there would be years, years spent where I was just a goof, like just making goofy faces that like my grandmother were like, your face is going to freeze that way. And there's my face freezing that way. And <laughs> finally, you know, when I started taking, um, when I hired model coaches, and I started doing face yoga. I actually learned how to like have a different face. <laughs> so. Hilarious. Do you know that I saw a documentary? I don't know if you saw this, a documentary about triplets who was separated. Did you see that? I won't explain it if you've already seen I it. I think so. Yeah. But something they said on there was interesting to me. They said mannerisms are hereditary. And I don't know if what you just described is actually a mm -hmm. mannerism. I don't know the difference between a mannerism. Yeah, probably. But yeah. so they said that it's hereditary. They all three, they grew up separately. They didn't know about the other. And there were some mannerisms they had that were identical. So I'm assuming that's sort of like under that. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I'll have to look that up. So for better or for worse, was there something that you inherited that you're happy about? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, they're like likable people. 
you know, and, um, and I learned how to be a likable, friendly person, you know, from them. And so, you know, my dad's real funny and charming and like, and my mom is just like really, really sweet. And so, you know, like they, um, they definitely taught me how to like get along with others. That's a good quality. So Mm -hmm. that I agree with you. And now the last question, was there a favorite childhood toy or game? Oh my God. Uh, Yes. There was like this, um, it was early nineties and my brother won a box full of toys from like the local TV station and How did you do that contest, you know, you enter like a raffle. And so this box of all these electronic toys like shows up and there's just so many toys. Like he can't possibly play with them all by himself. And so like that he had, to, he was forced to share them. And there was one thing that came out. He was, he was fine with sharing. He, he didn't mind giving up like this, like pink, like it was like a personal organizer you know and I was probably like 12 years old and and I I always love organize I'm a Virgo I love to organize things and so but it had like I mean it was probably like it looked like an early pager you know or like a calc it was like a calculator basically that could write what you put your friend's birthdays in oh it wasn't paper no, it wasn't paper. It was electronic. Oh, I was picturing like a oh, little okay, like sorry. I was, yeah, was like, like a paper. Oh, so it was like high tech. Wow. I know, right? It's the 90s, right? Yeah, it was like this little like yeah, it was like this little pink handheld calculator. How but cute you, is that? It had an alphabet so you could write information, you could save, you know, like, oh, I'm going to Shelly's house on Wednesday or whatever. <laughs> like a little phone book too right it sounds it like totally a little phone book and I loved it it made me feel so grown I would have liked something like that no one loved me right. and I didn't win any contests that's why I didn't ask just to know about your brother I was trying to figure out where I went wrong why I didn't apply to any of these contests uh-huh. well now you can learn you can go up sign it for now, I want one of those that sounds pretty cute actually do you still have it no 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 it's long gone to the sands of time <laughs> <laughs> So hoarding is not one of the things you're working on. Lucky you. Okay. I am, will never be accused of being a hoarder. I am, <laughs> I am more minimalist than I am comfortable with. I definitely look forward to having more space and more stuff. <laughs> what stuff is overrated. Take it from me. Cause I lean on the stuff end of it. It's I would rather be where you are, honestly, but I, I'm, guess, I'm, yeah, I'm, I can't be like you, like but I'm so glad I know you. So that's, that's lucky for me. Yeah, I, I could, I'm in 125 square feet right now with another grown person. And uh, I, I just, I don't have a closet that like fits like a, a pair of pants, you know, like I'm looking forward to those things, you know. Okay, that sounds like a scary movie. You've gone too far. Right? I agree. That's, that's just for a model. Oh my gosh, you must be hyperventilating. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just tell myself I'm on set. Oh, I'm on set. This is my hair and makeup trailer. <laughs> That's a great idea. Use this channel it into like a new story or um, totally some play or, or film or whatever, or some skit. I'm sure you do that. I'm sure you use that in your um. So that'll be so great. It'll be really exciting to see some of your stand up, as I said, in person. But also, if you ever record anything that you are happy to share, I would love to post it for you. Thank you. Thank you for your encouragement and your support. I will. I will. I'm sticking, I'm sticking to it. It's, it's become, you know, a nice creative outlet for me 
that I, I really understand how important it is to me and like my mental health to have, to have the community as well as to be heard. Well, we're listening and I'm listening and I'm glad that I met you. And as I said, I make my offer again, anytime you need someone to yell at you and say, what is wrong with you? Stop beating yourself up. You just call me. I'm your man. Thank you. I will call you for that, Jill. I, I believe you because we've had some really good like text pep talks. No, we have. And so I'm glad I consider you now my new friend. I so agree. hopefully we'll friend. see each other more often. And and next time you come on, I agree with you. No more cult, no more parents. That's all so yesterday. We covered and, it. Yeah. Just tell us what you're doing and we'll be following your path and your future loves, which I have no doubt you will have mm-hmm. and, and your success and, and send us pictures and video anytime. And we'd love to be your, like your little fan club. So, oh my God, thank you so much. Thank like- you so much for coming on again. And I know that you've been so busy and I, I know that it's been really hard for you. I so appreciate you coming because people have been asking when we would have the second podcast. So I'm so glad that you came and thank you. I so appreciate it. That's fantastic. And if, if it's cool, you can go to my link tree. Um, it's, it's L I N K T R dot E E slash Sarah Dunn, S-A-R-A-H-D-U-N-N. And there is a um, sign up, you can join my newsletter and I will keep you up to date on whenever I um, have new videos up that have that stand up comedy and like what I'm up to and what is going wonderful. On. And we'll put that all in the group so people don't have thank to remember that so now. Thank you so much. No, no, thank you and tag us anytime as well. Like, you know, I happen upon your, all your beautiful photos and, you know, messages, but if you want us to share anything, please tag us with a very absolutely. large audience. We're very proud. Ah, thank you. I'm very thankful for you all. You are the real stars audience. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's us. It's not you. Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And I'll let you get back to what you were doing and we will talk soon. Thank you, Jill. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Show your support by subscribing and receive exclusive behind-the-scenes episodes. Please give us a five-star rating and a positive review if you liked what you heard and think others should check us out so that we can reach more people over 40 like us. Follow us on Facebook at Old Cow LLC and join the Old Cow Podcast group on Facebook and Instagram. You can listen to future episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Check back every Monday for new episodes. Have a great week, everyone. And remember, old is not a fact. It's a state of mind. This podcast is produced and edited by Allison Zhang and is a product of Old Cal Media. It is hosted by Jill Norris and Ava Lancaster. 